eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You've discovered your link to gopowercat.com's PowerCat podcast. Now, here's your host, gopowercat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome into the PowerCat Sources podcast. I am your host today, Cole Carmody. That's right, the new guy. They're letting them host a podcast. That's me. I'm the new guy. And today we'll talk about everything college baseball related with John Peters of College Baseball Nation. In the first half of the podcast, it'll be more of the national side. We'll talk about what he has seen from the teams around the country. We'll break down the Big 12. And as we get into the second half of the podcast, we'll talk all about your Wildcats. John will see, tell us what he sees from an outsider's perspective. We'll talk about their chances at a potential postseason berth. And after John is gone, I will answer some of your questions that were asked on Wabash and give you'll hear my takes regarding the K-State season so far. K-State opens up Big 12 play next weekend against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. They just had a loss to Wichita State at the time of this recording last night. So we'll hear everything what John has to say about all of those things and much, much more all ahead on the PowerCat Sources podcast. And let's bring in John now. John Peters is the co-managing writer and editor at College Baseball Nation. John, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show today. Doing all right, Cole. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talking college baseball. Yeah, for sure. It's always a great time. Um, baseball season is, is here. It feels like it just started, but we're almost, what, two months into the season. How crazy has it been for you, actually, last year not getting the chance to obviously cover a whole season, and now here we are, it's almost April. How has it been for you guys? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it's been a blast being able to actually cover games this year uh, after the, the longest off season in history. I mean, that was a pretty painful for, for, for players, coaches, fans, everyone. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's how it always feels, I think. The college baseball season, it's going in February, and then you know all of a sudden it's gone before you know it. So trying to savor it as it goes. Yeah, and what have kind of your thoughts been overall on the season so far? I feel like for me personally, this year has just been fun because everybody's just been looking so much looking forward to baseball and to sports as a whole. But the quality on the field has really, I think, picked up. Um, what have you been your overall thoughts so far, and what teams have really impressed you? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. The quality of college baseball is the, the best it's ever been with the, the shortened draft and more players getting to campus that wouldn't have normally gone 
college baseball route and you know more seniors sticking around because of the draft and extra eligibility just across the board with these larger rosters the talent is, is so deep in college baseball uh it's i think if you're looking for teams that are, are doing well this year there's a lot of the usual suspects up at the top the top of the sec is is always super competitive and of course, with, with Rocker and Leiter, it's hard to ignore what Vanderbilt's doing right now. I mean, those two guys are two of the best starting pitchers in the country. But, I mean, if you just run through the teams that are in the top of all the polls, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Florida, there's a huge SEC flavor. And then uh, the top of a bunch of the other more power conferences in baseball are all up there, too, with Texas Tech and East Carolina and Louisville. Um, so there's a lot of usual suspects. There's a, there's a few few upstart teams. I think the the West Coast, with the way things went with the fall, where not all the teams got regular fall practices. Um, there's a little bit of a little bit of West Coast chaos where all of a sudden Oregon is looking like a top ten team, and that's not something that you expect from Oregon in college baseball. But they just keep winning. So I mean, you got to give credit where credit's due. I think one thing that's interesting, and we're kind of seeing this uh, with March Madness in the NCAA tournament, especially with these West Coast teams. I mean, if teams really people don't really get a chance to watch the Pac-12 that much, and and of course now they have you know so many teams in the Sweet 16 for basketball. Would you agree that maybe that's kind of the same way for baseball? As opposed, obviously, you know the teams like UCLA that are traditional powers, and, and you think of those teams. But you mentioned Oregon. Do you think that's kind of holding true this year? Yeah, I think this year it's going to be even tougher to figure that out than in years past with uh, a lot of teams just not traveling as far for, for games due to either costs or just issues trying to you know get your whole team across the country in a plane during the middle of, of different travel restrictions and such. Uh, we didn't get as many of those sort of long-distance non-conference games where uh, West Coast teams come over to play teams in the South or some of those tournaments that you get in uh, – in Surprise Arizona or in L.A. that happened where some of the, the teams out east go back to the west. Um, some of those just didn't happen in the same way. So the number of games that we're getting between West Coast teams and, and teams outside of the West Coast is, is a lot fewer this year. So it's going to be tricky kind of trying to measure uh, which which conferences are, are, are the best. I think it's safe to say just because you know there's so much talent at the high school level in especially Southern California, and a lot of those kids go to UCLA and Arizona and Arizona State uh, and Stanford and, and you know all all throughout California. Uh, you know there's talent there, um, so I, I think it's safe to say there's definitely a good number of, of really good West Coast teams. But it's probably not really going to be until regional, super regionals, college world series that we get a really good idea. Yeah, same way with March Madness, how good some of these West Coast teams are. I don't know if I'm I'm willing to say that you know we're going to have. Uh, four Pac-12 teams in the uh, Super Regionals, but, you know, I mean, you're seeing it with Sweet 16, right? Yep. I think it's another thing that's interesting, you know, we talk about conferences, is the Big Ten. And the Big Ten is only playing the Big Ten so far. And and I think that's that's crazy to me because, you know, just being here at K-State, you know, K-State, you mentioned the tournaments in Surprise Arizona. K-State, obviously the Big 12 is a little bit more lenient than some of the other conferences. K-State was able to go down uh, to Surprise Arizona. They played Oregon State. They played Gonzaga. So we've kind of seen what they can do against some of those West Coast teams. But we haven't seen anything from the Big 10. And I think that's kind of reflected uh, in your guys' rankings. We'll get into that here in a little bit. But how do you judge teams in the Big 10 when they're only playing each other it's yeah it's hard <laughs> the long and the short of it is it's hard to do 
So yeah, like you mentioned, the Big Ten is only doing conference play. And it's really hard getting an idea of how good these Big Ten teams are. I think, I mean, one thing that's a little bit reassuring is that when we're putting together our preseason rankings, we identified Indiana and Michigan as two teams that we thought on paper had a good amount of talent. Uh, Michigan with the pitching staff, Indiana with the offense. And so far, it's kind of played out where both of those teams have been off to good starts in Big Ten play. So that's a little bit reassuring is that, you know, we're relying on uh, sort of a, a talent uh, judgment in order to, to make our rankings for the Big Ten. But um, it's it's going to be really hard. I, I don't think there's really clear guidance or a clear vision for how Big Ten teams are going to get at large bids in the NCAA tournament. I think they will. The Big Ten has enough of a history at this point of sending multiple teams to uh, regionals that they're not going to be a one-bid league by any means. But it's going to be really interesting to see what the committee ultimately decides. Do we see the Big Ten go down to you know, two or three bids? Are they going to get their four or five like they normally do? Uh, I, I, it's going to be a really interesting uh, experience, and I do not envy the selection committee members this year. No, definitely not. And, and, and I mentioned your top 50, and, and I'm looking at it here. And, and as far as the Big Ten teams go, and assuming I'm not missing anybody here, it looks like you have Indiana at 36 and Michigan at 39, and those are the only two teams that are ranked. So I do think it's really interesting that you know, you mentioned how, how are these teams going to get put into the NCAA tournament? And you look at any other sport, you know, football, um, they had to deal with it the exact same way. It's like you have the Ohio States of the world where they only played six games and how are they going to be put into the college football playoff? I think for college baseball, it's almost more difficult because there is, I feel like, a lot more depth uh, as far as, as teams go this year. And one conference that is extremely deep and, and one conference that we're going to talk quite a bit about here today is the Big 12. And obviously the Big 12 very near and dear to the hearts of many people that are listening to this podcast what have you seen from that conference so far and and what do you think about that conference as a whole yeah the big 12 is i think it's always a, a conference that has a lot of parity in college baseball there's just a lot of programs that are traditionally really strong in college baseball and that was reflected in our preseason rankings where we had eight of the nine baseball playing teams ranked in our top 50 so uh, we definitely saw the big 12 coming into the year as a conference that uh, could be sending a lot of teams to the postseason. The way that's played out, I think that uh, we don't have quite as many teams ranked in our top 50 right now, but I still think that the top eight teams in the Big 12 all have fighting chances to make it to the postseason. Uh, I think the biggest thing that hurt the Big 12 uh, was probably week one in the season, and it's a little bit difficult to, to judge a, a team or a conference on one week but in the college baseball showdown that happened in Arlington when the Big 12 went up against some of the top SEC teams, uh, the Big 12 went one and eight. And uh, I think something that that weekend deserves a little bit of context. That was the same weekend as all the ice storms in Texas and mm-hmm. Texas teams, regardless of their conference. So Texas teams and, you know, for instance, the SEC, like Texas A&M, also got off to a really bad start. And a lot of Texas teams just didn't have a good start to the year. Um, since then, you know, we've seen Texas take uh, three games, you know, sweep South Carolina. So that's a pretty nice series there. Uh, Texas Tech has had some nice wins against UConn. Um, so I think it's it's safe to say that the Big 12 
uh, is one of the best conferences in the country. I think the image was hurt a little bit by week one, but um, I mean, at this point, we have three teams from the Big 12 ranked in our top 15, and you know, I think we, we feel pretty good about those three teams. Um, Texas Tech, Texas, Oklahoma State, with TCU right there knocking on the door. So, you know, at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised if we see two or three regional hosts coming from the Big 12. So do you think you mentioned week one? And by the way, that was on Flow Baseball, which, which as someone who was not extremely familiar with Flow Baseball, having to go through the whole process of purchasing it and then selecting the wrong plan, I can tell you that is not the most enjoyable experience in the world. But that is an aside. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Do you really think that week one is going to play into the committee's decision? I mean, I watched, you know, I watched a lot of TCU that weekend, and, and you're right, they got beat up. Um, they came into the season, I believe, as top ten, um, pretty much through all the other, through all the polls, and they got beat up. Is that something that the committee is going to look at as an as an indictment on TCU, or do you think that they're going to look at that as a whole and say, okay, well, maybe the Big Twelve isn't as strong as the SEC? Yeah, I think. I mean, in a lot of sports, you know, one bad weekend is not that bad. And that's especially true in college baseball. So, I mean, for, for instance, TCU went one and two at that week uh, at the college baseball showdown against Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas. And that's not a bad result. So specifically, TCU is going to be totally fine. But even Texas and, and Texas Tech going 0 and 3, uh, I think, you know, by the time you play 50 plus games in a college baseball season, that's going to be a little bit of a of a distant memory. Also, the way the selection committee still relies upon RPI, which uh, RPI in, you know, in all of its flaws is still one of the, the major metrics used to pick teams for the postseason. Uh, at the end of the day, the RPI really cares more about the strength of schedule and just having those games on their, their schedule is, is going to be something that, that boosts Texas and Texas Tech, for instance. So I, I don't anticipate that being really a major factor uh, for some of these teams, but at least you know early season impressions, uh, it, it's not great. But I think as long as these teams kind of continue to win their the midweek games, which they've all done a really good job uh, of doing that for the most part, and as long as um, uh, Texas Tech or Texas or Oklahoma State, some of these teams rack up some Big 12 wins, those teams I think uh, have have pretty good paths to hosting a regional. But that might be that might be tough to do with how the the bottom of the the Big 12 uh, is is not going to to roll over. You know, I think there's it's going to be tough to get. 20 wins in the Big 12, it's, it's probably not going to happen. Like, there, there are a lot of really good teams. One thing that I find interesting is the midweek games because for people who are not super familiar with college baseball, midweek games are completely different than, I feel like, even non-conference games in basketball because you're not pitching your best guys. A lot of the times there's reserves that are in the starting lineup. And one thing that I have been telling our subscribers here at Go Powercat is – they're still searching for answers. Every team in the country is still searching for answers. And usually those midweek games are where they try and find some answers. And so we saw it earlier in the season, I believe uh, a few weeks ago, Oklahoma knocked off Arkansas, who was number one in the country at the time. But I don't think anybody in Arkansas is panicking about that loss. For people maybe who aren't super familiar with just college baseball as a whole, what what do people take away from midweek games? You wouldn't say that they're as important as the weekend series, obviously, but what is the purpose of really having those midweek games, and how does that look in the eyes of the selection committee at the end of the year? Yeah, so that's, that's a two-parter. First off, in just uh, the, the eyes of the selection committee, uh, because they rely upon RPI, the RPI doesn't care when the games are played. So a midweek game is worth the same as a weekend game, 
for, for the RPI. But uh, for, for head coaches and how they approach midweek games, it's totally different than how they approach weekend games. So weekend games are when you play conference series or when you play you know, three or four games against a, a single team. And for sure, as you're gearing up for conference, which at this point now about half the Big 12 teams have played a conference series and the rest are, are getting going this weekend, you use those midweek games to find the 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 go-to long reliever that you, you might need in the weekend or, or find that 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 seven eighth inning guy uh you you use it to find uh, a backup catcher you know you, you use it to to plug and play guys and see you know who's going to be the guy that comes off as a defensive substitution in the late innings in a conference series um and you definitely see coaches playing more of a heavy hand in managing trying different guys combinations of of lineups so uh, you know, for a casual fan looking for results in the midweek, you're not always going to get it. But um, on the other side, though, getting midweek wins is nice, a nice way of boosting the win-loss record and boosting the RPI. And one team that did not get a midweek win this week was Kansas State. We will talk about K-State. We will talk more about the Big 12 when we come back here on the PowerCat Sources podcast. The PowerCat podcast will be right back. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We now send it back to the PowerCat Podcast. And welcome back to the PowerCat Sources Podcast. I am your host, Cole Carmody. We're speaking with John Peters of College Baseball Nation. And before the break, I mentioned Kansas State. And and John, you had Kansas State, you guys had Kansas State in your preseason top 50. And I believe they were in there for a week or two, um, right there at that 49-50 mark. Ultimately, they dropped out after a two of three loss to Eastern Illinois. Um, what have you seen from Kansas State so far from a distance? Yeah, so I think Kansas State, so, you know, anytime we put together a top 50, and, and we at College Baseball Nation, we do a top 50, which is different than a lot of other outlets, uh, and that's because uh, the top 50 all has a, a really a good fighting chance of getting an at-large bid in a regional, and it allows us to give some credit to the, the upstart schools or, or, or schools um, that are, are from the major conferences. And um, I think every single week, the, the spreadsheet that we have that helps us put together our top 50, Kansas State has made the list and hasn't always cracked the top 50. But for instance, right now, I think it's uh, Kansas State is one or two teams out of our top 50. So it's a team that we've definitely considered keeping in the rankings. 
And in our uh, first uh, field of 64 projection that we've done midseason, we had Kansas State right on the bubble just out of the field of 64. So Kansas State is definitely one of those teams that we think has a fighting chance to get one of the at-large bids in the Big 12. I think uh, when you think of Kansas State, you have to kind of think about where they fit in overall in the Big 12. And there's a top tier that we've touched on a little bit already with Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, Oklahoma State. And after that, it's a little bit less clear who the fifth best team or sixth best team in, in the Big 12 is. Kansas State feels like one of those teams that ha has a fighting chance at being fifth or sixth. And, and that's a position where if at the end of the season, that's where they're at. You got to feel at least pretty good about getting into a regional, but um, slip farther down the Big 12 standings than that. And things get a little bit muddier. And, and that's and I'm with you 100% on that. I'm actually going to have a, a Big 12 uh, preseason, you know, as we start the conference season rankings, uh, power, you know, power rankings coming out here pretty soon uh, on the site. And, and I think for K-State, one thing that they are better than a lot of teams in the country um, with is starting pitching and, and obviously led by Jordan Wicks, uh, the lefty who has had a great season so far, followed by Carson Seymour, another one of those guys. Struggled a little bit early on, another uh, projected Major League draft pick, and then Connor McCullough rounding it out on Sundays. To me, and I'll get your opinion on this as well, I feel like pitching alone is going to help them beat some teams that maybe they shouldn't beat. Yeah, I think that's fair. Jordan Wicks, I mean, obviously is a special guy. In the meantime, you have a guy, a lefty throwing low 90s, can touch mid 90s, has a changeup that is, is probably already plus plus at this point. Just, you know, has two really solid pitches right there, has some off speed stuff too that he can go to that is at least around average. I mean, for uh, uh, a Friday night guy in college baseball, that's a pretty good recipe for success. And obviously he's had that so far. He's, I think, undefeated on the season, ERA under two. So uh, Jordan Wicks is likely a first-round draft pick and looks like a first-round draft pick. So you're totally right there. Uh, Connor McCullough, I think, has been better than advertised. I, th I think his, his ERA being sub-three for a Sunday guy is, is something that you feel really good about. I think in terms of the, the pitching staff, the biggest question mark uh, on the rotation right now is probably Carson Seymour. And if you're going to have a question mark, it's, it's it's like an okay question mark to have because he clearly mm -hmm. has the stuff. He sometimes has a little bit of issues with command and, and the walks can kind of uh, start outrunning the strikeouts, which is never, you know, never a good sign for a, a Saturday starter. He's had some starts where he's looked really good and some starts where he's given up four or five runs. I think if uh, K-State can get more consistency from Carson Seymour, uh, they'd start to feel really good about that weekend rotation. And one thing that I've been talking about a lot throughout the whole entire season is the consistency of the offense. And unfortunately, uh, at the time of this recording last night, K-State lost to Wichita State 5-1. to Not exactly a, a good loss. Um, Wichita State has picked up some quality wins, but that's not a loss that um, I think K-State obviously doesn't feel good anytime you lose but when you lose to somebody especially in state that's going to sting for a little bit and the fact that they scored one run um 
really against Wichita State being the best competition they've played um, besides outside of New Mexico um, in their last series. I guess you could make the argument Eastern Illinois and Western Michigan could hit the ball. But other than that, I'd say Wichita State's probably the best team they've played since Gonzaga. Um, Do you think that maybe not playing the best competition before Big 12 play is going to hurt K-State as they uh, open up conference play this weekend against Oklahoma State? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. I think that you're fair in your assessment of the non-conference schedule. Uh, I think it, for, for Kansas State, it was important to get some wins in non-conference, and, and they've done that. Uh, you know, just looking at their record overall, you got to feel pretty comfortable uh, about it. But if you if you look at who they've beaten, who they've lost to, it's, um, yeah, losing to Wichita State. I think in reality, Wichita State is probably uh, a top 100, top 150 type team, which it's it's not a terrible loss, not something that, that you want. But yeah, outside of Oregon State, Gonzaga, you know, week one of the season, Kansas State hasn't quite had that level of competition. Uh, and they start Big 12 playoff with Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. So I think you're going to figure out really quickly how competitive K-State's going to be in the Big 12. If you go, if you lose both those series are at, you know, one and five, two and four in the Big 12, maybe don't feel super great. If you can even go three and three against, K-State, uh, against Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, you know, all of a sudden you start feeling pretty confident that that there's a path to going 500 in the conference and getting a, an at-large bid. So last question here, and then I'll let you go. What are you thinking about as a whole, um, your favorites uh, to win the whole thing? Obviously, we got a long ways to go. But if you were to pick a College World Series right now, who would you pick? I know I'm putting you on the spot. But if you want to give me just some teams, you know, if you have 10 teams or so, but if you could pick the favorites to end up in Omaha right now, who would you choose? Yeah, uh, that's that's tough. I think the earlier it is in the season, the less we know about teams, I tend to rely more upon pitching staffs because at the end of the day, you need at least three good pitchers to win a regional and to win the College World Series. So when you look at a team like Vanderbilt, for instance, which has two guys that are probably going to go in the top five picks in the draft, you feel pretty good that Vanderbilt is, is going to win a regional and, and, and going to win a super regional. They might not uh, have the third arm to, to make it all the way and win the College World Series, but there's a long season, so we'll see how that plays out. Mississippi State is in the same boat where their arms are uh, really unbelievable. They had four straight shutouts at one point. So, you know, you got to feel pretty good about your, your pitching staff when you can do that. Louisville is another team that I think has some really good potential for pitching. They haven't quite lived up to that, but their their Friday night ace was out for a little bit. Um, Florida, when you look at them, uh, they're starting pitching. All their three guys there on that pitching staff are going to get drafted, and there's a handful of bullpen guys, too, that have a possibility of getting drafted. Um, so, I mean, I think some of those are, are pretty easy picks, uh, a little bit um, – a, a little bit cheap picks there. I think if I want to go totally wild card, a team that I've been kind of excited about and high on is Arizona. So Arizona is kind of fits the opposite bill of they are slug first. They, they're they the type of team that uh, they, they came to, to Frisco, played Oklahoma and put up like 20 runs or something like that against them. And that's not always a recipe for success in the postseason. But if they can get just enough pitching, that's one of those teams where you feel like no one's going to want to play them in a regional. Um yeah, it's it's hard hard saying anything definitive at this point of the year. I mean, if you look at Texas, you got to like their arms. Um, Oklahoma State, I think, has a potential. 
um, that they've had some some shakiness with arms, but really the, the most shakiness they had was against Vanderbilt, which you can't feel too bad about that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think you could put 25 names in a hat and pull out eight of them and feel like you did all right picking your College World Series teams because college baseball is just so deep right now. And it really feels like one of those years that any team could, could break through and get that first national championship. There you have it, John. Thank you so much for joining the PowerCat Sources podcast today. We really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks for having me. So that was John Peters of College Baseball Nation. It's always great getting an outsider's opinion of the things that are happening in Manhattan, Kansas, especially with K-State baseball. And I think he hit the nail on the head. He talked about K-State starting pitching. And like I mentioned, that's one thing that I've been talking about for weeks here on Go PowerCat is the starting pitching. I mean, the starting pitching is Omaha quality. He said, if you have three guys that can go out and that can win you a series, you can end up in Omaha. K-State believes they can end up in Omaha. I think if all three of the starting pitchers in Jordan Wicks, Carson Seymour, and Connor McCullough catch fire at the same time, you really are looking at a team that can do some damage as we get into May and June. And that's fun. I mean, that's just fun. As, as a K-State fan you're going to be able to go out to the ballpark and watch a guy in Jordan Wicks who's going to be a first-round draft pick. He's going to pitch in the major leagues. Jordan Wicks will be a major league pitcher. So when you go out to Toynton Family Stadium and hopefully hopefully they open up attendance here so we can get more people coming in, we haven't heard anything yet, but you would have to imagine, hopefully as we start April, that they just start to get some more people out at the ballpark. Fitz has talked about it in his daily deliveries, and I'm on the same opinion. Let's get more people in the bar, in the ballpark. When you go out to the ballpark and you watch Jordan Wicks pitch, guess what? You're watching a guy who's going to pitch in the major leagues. So they have three starting pitchers that can get the job done. John talked about it. Always a great time talking to him. So one thing I want to do now as we kind of move into the back half of the podcast is you guys asked some questions on Wabash, and I want to get to those because you brought some good questions. And we don't really get a chance to talk baseball that much. Obviously, this will be the first podcast solely dedicated to that. So I want to get into that because there is some good ones. And the first one I want to get to comes from Cake Breaker. And he asked about the scouting report. And we talked a lot about that with John. So I won't get too much into that. But yesterday's result, and I touched on it with Wichita State. And I wanted to ask him that question because that game was frustrating to watch. It really was. I'm of the opinion K-State could have won that game. Obviously, they gave up three runs in one inning. They only scored one. That's not okay. But they had the bases loaded with nobody out in the eighth inning. And Zach Kakasa coming up, I, I tweeted, I didn't tweet this out, I texted my dad. I was watching the game with my dad. He, he's a big-time K-State baseball fan now, which hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, you are too. I said, this is the right man, right spot, Zach Kakaska. Eight home runs. He's third in the country with eight home runs. And he's in the, he's ahead in the count, 2-0. and And the home plate umpire calls a strike that was not a strike. And it got in Zach's head. It just did. It got in his head. And it was 2-1. But he stepped out of the box, took a cut, cleared his head, got back in the box. Another strike called that should have been a ball. And then he, you start to see the emotion. And I'm going, okay, well, he, he just lost it. And, of course, the next pitch, cutter inside, awful swing, strike three. Chris Ceballos comes up, who has been struggling mightily um, so far in the season. We've talked about this as well. Strikes out, and 
Austin Garrett, the third string catcher, comes up, strikes out again, and the Cats leave them loaded. Give up two runs in the bottom of the eighth inning, lose 5-1. to one. It was frustrating, but I thought the pitching was very good. I really did. Um, that's that's a positive, guys, because the pitching, the bullpen has also been a question mark. Caleb Little Jim got into some trouble, but that's a guy who Coach Hughes has said he's not going to be afraid to use, and with good reason, because he has some nasty stuff. I, I'm on the I'm on the train of get Caleb Little Jim in the game when you can. And one thing else I want to talk about here in a, in a moment is the outfield situation because he's involved in that as well, but. Caleb Little Jim looked really good on the mound. Dylan Phillips struggled a little bit, but that's a guy who I think has some nasty stuff from the left side. Eric Torres didn't pitch. He pitched a lot on the weekend. He's another one of those main lefty relievers. Him and Tyler Eckberg, those are your two guys in the bullpen that Coach Hughes is looking at. If I had to rate the relievers right now, um, I would say... I would say number one, without a doubt, right now for Coach Hughes is Eric Torres and, and, and Tyler Eckberg right behind him. Those two guys have really thrown the ball well. So if you're looking for uh, bright spots out of the pen, it's those two guys. And I guess if you want to count Casey Ford, he's one of those swing guys. When there's a fourth conference game, he's going to start. But he's another one of those guys as well. Um, but overall, takeaways from the game, obviously it's not good that you <laughs> lose to Wichita State. Um but it did make me feel better, and it should make you feel better that John doesn't see that as that awful of a loss in the eyes of the committee. Um, other thing I want to talk about is the outfield situation. And there was an interesting point brought up by somebody on Wabash. I can't remember who, so if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Dom Hughes, Coach Hughes' son, started this weekend. And Dom has been bad. There's no doubt about it. He's been really bad. He's hitting under 100. Caleb Little Jim has been bad. He's hitting 179. Now, he hit a home run, so that's good. But overall, Caleb Little Jim has been bad. Dom Hughes has been bad. Blake Burroughs, another out center fielder, has not played that much. Two at-bats. They started Cole Johnson, the transfer from TCU. Cole Johnson had a great game on Friday night, had three hits. Coach Hughes said after the game on Sunday that Cole strained his foot, and so he wasn't able to play the two games. Otherwise, he would have. And so guess who started center field yesterday? Cole Johnson. Cole Johnson's going to be the center fielder for this team, I have a feeling. What he can bring to the team, he can hit leadoff. He can do some other things. He's fast. He can play good defense. He can steal some bags. It wouldn't surprise me if Cole Johnson gets the opportunity to play center field on an everyday basis, which then would open up you to use Caleb Caleb Little Jim more out of the bullpen, which I don't think would be an awful thing. So I think if you're going to look for somebody to step up and take that spot in center field, again, this is solely based off of opinion. I think Cole Johnson's going to be that guy. So that's one thing I wanted to talk about. I don't think Dom Hughes started because Coach Hughes thought he was the best option. I think he was just trying to give somebody else a chance. I don't think it's fair to say that Dom Hughes starting is because his dad is the coach. If Dom Hughes couldn't play at K-State, he wouldn't be here. He has talent. He's just not there right now. I think Cole Johnson is going to be that center fielder. If not Cole, I think they're going to give it to Little Jim based solely on experience. But it'll be interesting to see when they open up conference play who is indeed roaming center field. Another question I want to get to comes from AJ Seert 307 Big 12 standings predictions and a postseason bid. I will give my Big 12 standings predictions in an article, like I mentioned, coming out hopefully tomorrow. That should be out on Friday morning, so that will be out. And I do think K-State's going to end up 
in the postseason. There's plenty of times to talk about that. We kind of heard from John a little bit regarding that. Um, and one thing we didn't get a t- chance to talk to John about was COVID, but I think he kind of mentioned it with the tournaments and everything. So, um, yeah, I just think overall getting those non-conference games in is important for K-State because, like John said, picked up some wins. Um, another question from Exhausted In. I forgot. I don't know how to say that word. I'm sorry, Exhausted. <laughs> I've been to a few games at Toynton, and I love the atmosphere. Um, I love the atmosphere. I think it's awesome. And like I said, there needs to be more people there. Uh, I will say that Coach Hughes even thinks it's a an advantage. It's a home field advantage. And it is. And we need every single person to come out to the ballpark if you can because this team is good. This team is good. They're frustrating to watch sometimes. But I put it like this. Right now, K-State is a sophomore in high school on the varsity. They have a chance to be really stinking good. But they also have a chance to make some mistakes and to not be that good. Think about it like this. That sophomore on the varsity team who is probably the most talented can go out and he can score 45 points a night and hit 10 threes. But he can also go out and get four fouls in the first half and have to sit on the bench for the rest of the game. As opposed to that senior, maybe that scores 10 points every single game, gets a bunch of assists, scrappy player, does a lot to help his teams win. Those are the teams like TCU. You know what you're going to get from them. They're solid. They're really good. They're going to be there at the end. K-State's a wild card right now. Let's see what they have. Let's see that potential come out. K-State's a fun team to watch. They have some awesome starting pitching. They hit a ton of home runs. They put the ball in play. They're fast. They make, they're athletic. Let's get people out to the ballpark to watch this team play. The interest is there. The interest is there. We would not be talking about this team right now if the interest wasn't there. The talent is there. Let's get people out there to watch them play. First chance to do that coming up, not this weekend, next weekend against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. You can catch the Cats this weekend on ESPN Plus Big 12 now. They open up with the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Jordan Wicks will have the ball on Friday night with the Cats going for Game 1. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the PowerCat Sources podcast. Be sure to stay locked in everything we got going on at Go PowerCat. And as always, take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is Cole Carmody signing off. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.